The Highland Light Infantry of Canada was a Waterloo County area regiment who served with great distinction in World War II. In 1970, they were rebadged as the Royal Highland Fusiliers of Canada. After coming ashore at Normandy on June 6, 1944, they fought throughout Northwest Europe and were in the vanguard of the liberation of Holland. They were the first Canadian troops to draw uh, to cross the Rhine River, and they re received numerous battle honors, including the Scheldt, Normandy, Caen, and beyond. I had three uncles who served with that regiment during that time. When the guns were finally silent and the politicians were busy figuring out what they were going to do with this newly divided continent, one thing became clear. The Highlandite infantry had never lost one foot of ground that was taken from the enemy. They never lost one man taken prisoner. They never lost any men in action that were not accounted for, which was a remarkable achievement. The historians since then have had a hard time trying to explain that because typically on the battlefield, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. But there were those who were there who will tell you the story. They will tell you why no prisoners were taken and why everyone was accounted for at the end of each battle. They'll tell you why the regiment had such a spree de corps and how it wasn't for king and country or the politicians or for some foreign government that they were fighting for each day. No, they fought with a tenacity and a dedication that was absolutely fearsome. When the SS Panzer Division that faced them in one major battle were defeated, as their officers were interviewed, they said it was of great concern to them that the Highland Light Infantry was in front of them. That was their reputation. How could they do that? Well, you see, they fought for each other. They fought for their fellow soldier, for their platoon and section mates, and for the NCOs that led the way. And one man in particular stood out. In fact, he earned two military crosses as well as other medals for gallantry. Captain John Anderson was his name, but the troops called him, in deference to his Scottish background, Jock, or most often, Padre, for he was a military chaplain. For 11 straight months, Jock cared for the wounded and dying. Daily, he faced the shrapnel and the small arms fire in the minefields. He organized the stretcher bearers and led them out under fire time and time again to retrieve the wounded and the dead alike. So it's no wonder that every man was accounted for. Over time, Jeep drivers were reluctant to drive him around because he had four of those Jeeps blowing out from under him. <laughs> so it wasn't an easy job. On one occasion, an officer who was well-liked by the men was killed and laying out in a field. And the men were heard to say, we're not going to leave him out there, are we? Well, I'm going to go out and get him, said Jock. So the pipe major joined him, playing his bagpipes. And everyone watched in silence as the pipe major and the padre crossed inside the German lines and retrieved the body. And during those moments, not a shot was fired. Men on both sides of the conflict stood there 
simply amazed. Because it was an amazing act of courage, dedication, and yes, even love, because these men over time grew to love each other deeply. One day the Padre worked from 9 a.m. until midnight, nonstop, without a break, under fire, and was personally responsible for bringing in 400 wounded men to the aid station. Can you imagine that, Major Quinn? 400 casualties from 9 a.m. till midnight. He then collapsed in exhaustion. The commanding officer put him on a flight back to Britain and said, stay there, you're done. Well, that lasted about a week. And Jock uh, stowed away on a Navy ship and uh, hitchhiked his way across Holland and rejoined his regiment, ready to serve yet again. One officer commented, that's the type of character that the Padre was. I guess he knew where he was going if he got shot. Pastor Michelle, I think he didn't know where he was going if he got shot. The late Roy Francis, who'd served as a sergeant during those dark and terrible days, and who I interviewed one day, about, because I was writing an article about the afternoon that he saw two of his brothers killed in the same battle right in front of him. And then he added this comment, I never thought much about getting wounded myself, because I always knew that Jock would come and get me. Bill Rolison, a major in those days, credits Padre Jock for, being the, for the outstanding achievements of the regiment. And I quote, I know other padres who didn't go to such extremes for their men. No one unaccounted for? I'd say that padre earned that himself. And the men even today, in the HLI was the reserve unit I served in before I joined the regular army. And I'd go to annual reunions and Jock would be there. And they'd kid around and tease this Bible-thumping, teetotaling soldier. But you better not. <laughs> or you might find yourself looking at the ceiling. They loved him because they could never forget or deny the fact that he was willing to lay down his life for the men. And what did our Lord say in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John? Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Let us pray. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have adopted us as your children. You lavish your grace upon us at word and table. Build us up as the body of Christ. Strengthen our unity in the faith. Deepen our knowledge of Jesus, our Lord, and help us to grow into maturity as your children, reflecting the full stature of Christ. Amen. Amen. We know that at the present time, over 60 different nations are at war. Some with each other, some it's an internal conflict. We're hearing a lot recently about Yemen and Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran. But there are many, many others who are not at peace today. And hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world
are suffering as a result, some to the point of death. Recently, I've been asked a number of times how I feel about all this, particularly in the last three weeks. How do you sleep at night is the question that I'm often asked. And I say, well, actually, I sleep very well, thank you. And here's why. If you have your Bibles or your devices with you, I'm going to go to the the third gospel, Luke chapter 21. If you're new to the scriptures, I usually say to myself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold the horse till I get on. That's how I remember (laughs) the gospels. So we're in the third one, the gospel of Luke, beginning at verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Have you ever been to Israel, to the Western Wall? You've seen that for yourself. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I'm he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. He goes on to talk about environmental issues and issues of conflict and political stuff and all that. And he concludes that portion of thought with this. When these things begin to take place, go hide in a cave, climb under the covers and pull them up, start drinking alcohol or taking pills because you're anxious, No. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Because I will be returning very soon. That's his promise to us this morning. Here at Calvary and in many other churches in the city, in a few weeks we will begin what we call the Advent season. Advent means coming. So we we celebrate his first advent when he was born 2,000 years ago. But according to the scripture, and we have more prophetic verses in the Bible, Old and New Testament, dealing with his second coming than we do his first coming, his second coming will be relatively soon. When? I don't know. I really don't. In fact, no one knows. In Acts, when he was asked that question, Jesus said, only the Father knows. So I know exactly when Jesus will return, biblically speaking, when the Father says so. That's it. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. And what did we just read? Jesus said, don't follow them. Don't pay any attention to to date setters and people like that. Only Father God knows when. So, what do we do? 
In the meantime, we do what Jesus said. We're just ready. Just like Enoch of old walked with God, and one day God took him. You maintain your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and whether you go by way of the grave or his second coming, you'll be with him. No question. So friends and fellow sisters and brothers in arms, I stand before you today, not because I'm worthy or have some form of merit. I can only stand here today because of his mercy and his grace. As the hymn writer of old put it, nothing in my hands I bring. Right, Ed? But simply to his cross I cling. And so as we approach this table, as Pastor Michelle leads us in the act of remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice for us today, let us consider the love that has been shown to us as Jesus laid down his life for us. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John and also three short letters. And in that first letter, he says something rather remarkable. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Doesn't that sound nice? Why, we can even say amen to that. But think about it for a moment. Do you really think terrorists are going to come banging through those doors in the next few minutes and start shooting us up? And some of us are going to have to intervene and defend others who can flee? Not likely, but it's happening elsewhere in the world. So, so we can, if we're not careful, just give lip service to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So how does that work here in Peterborough, November 5th, 2023, in the safety of this place? Well, John gives us one example. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So how do we lay down our lives when we live in a peaceful environment? Well, here's one example. You see someone in need? Help them. Help them. It's that simple. That's how you serve. That's how you lay down your life in the service, in the ministry to others. My mother, when I was about uh, 11, 12 years old, took my younger sister, four years younger than me, away from a horribly abusive, difficult family situation and uh, left her husband, which back in the 60s was a big no-no, and the church included did not support her, unfortunately. And we fled to another community, her hometown. And she got a job as a nurse. And back then, she was making 45 to $50 a week before deductions. So she had herself and me and Ruthie to look after for the first couple of years. Money was tight. 
Now, I didn't know how tight it was. I didn't know how poor we were. I I never thought that way. I wasn't a victim of poverty or any of that kind of thinking. It's just the way it was. So for days on end, I'd have two saltine crackers with maybe some peanut butter on it and a glass of milk if we had milk, otherwise it'd be water. That was breakfast. I had no money for lunch, no lunch to take to school. Supper time, toast, jam, maybe soup. How many of you ever had oxtail soup? Like when you go to the butcher and you buy an oxtail and you put it in the pot and you boil the water? If you put your hands up saying, yeah, I remember that, then you're dating yourself like I am. But yeah, she sent me to the butcher and I would buy bits and pieces of chickens and beef and pork that no one else wanted because half the time he knew our situation. He'd just give them to me. And that's what we used. About four years after moving there, uh, she got a better job and a nurse in another location and uh, things were better. And her semi-invalid mother, Granny, moved in with us So her income helped pay for expenses and we had better meals and stuff. I used to do all the the laundry, most of the ironing and all the grocery shopping because mom worked steady nights and so it was my job to take care of things during the day so I could buy better things and more things. But Mrs. Morassi, her supervisor who'd been working with her at the hospital in the first job, came to me one day and she said, you know, we were often concerned about your mom. I said, why? She'd, she'd often faint at work. And we checked her out, and there's nothing wrong with her. Then we realized she wasn't eating enough. So, Jane, Mom would not eat. So, Ruthie and I could eat. My mom was willing to lay down her life for Ruthie and I. And that's what John's getting at here. That's how we lay down our lives. That's how we serve others. We do whatever is appropriate in that situation. Amen? So teenagers, 20-somethings, you've so far in life had a lot of things given to you. You've had a lot of people care about you and do things for you. Now you're at a stage where you're finding your own way. So this is an issue that you need to address. Are you going to remain as a consumer or are you going to turn into a contributor? That's true for all of us, but those habits begin early in life, making the shift from a consumer to a contributor. And my mom was a contributor. You see, Jesus laid down his life for us, for all of us. And John goes on after giving that clear example. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. See, John gets right back to this love thing. Laying down your life in the service of others. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. 
And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So Jesus laid down his life for all of us, everyone in this room without exception, so that the ground that the enemy had taken would be recovered. That the wounded and broken would be retrieved. That the prisoners would be set free. And at the end, just like with Padre Jacques, everyone would be accounted for and the enemy in defeat. For today, we remember this truth. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. May the Lord bless you and keep you.